Welcome everybody to Not A Grundy Outdoors. <clears throat> Kyle Jackson here with Rodney Wood. We've also got a couple of guests this week. Uh, Josh Adams, Executive Director of the NRA Whittington Center. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Uh, we also have Matthew Ordonez uh, with the New Mexico Game of Fish. Thank you. Welcome everybody. Appreciate you guys being here. Uh, wanted to start out real quick, uh, Josh. You were kind enough to allow us to come out to the, the Whittington Center. Of course, it's a, a facility open to the public, correct? That is correct. And uh, out here going to do some uh, some sighting in today. But uh, give us a little bit of history about the, the Whittington Center. The Whittington Center was formed in 1973 as a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we encompass about 33,300 acres out here. We have 18 different ranges you know, for all the different shooting disciplines, rifle, pistol, shotgun, and archery. Uh, our, our shotgun facility has 17 trap fields, five stands, sporting clays, and skeet. Um, we also have silhouette ranges, long range shooting ranges, you know, a little bit of everything for everybody. It's kind of like a Second Amendment theme park. Nice. <laughs> well, we're, we're all for that, absolutely. Uh, about how many visitors do you guys get each year? Uh, roughly about 115 to 120,000 visitors come through the doors each year out here and you know surprisingly only about 10 to 15 percent of them are actually competitive shooters the rest are recreational shooters and people that just want to come out here and stay in our lodging at the facility or just you know see the wildlife which are you know in abundance out here at the center yeah really in abundance that's for sure um so um you guys what kind of programs opportunities do you have for people out here our big programs that we push quite a bit is our youth adventure camp program mm -hmm. and it, it's held every year we have two sessions of about you know 50 to 55 kids or each one of those sessions are two-week sessions and they come from all over the country and they learn all the different shooting disciplines rifle pistol archery muzzle loading it's really a youth leadership camp and they learn you know the history of America and it's it's a really good program you see these kids that come in they're all shy when they first show up here, ages 13 to 17 year old. And when they leave there, you know, they make lifelong friendships and you know, they don't want to leave. And a lot of them will come back the following year as counselors in training or counselors and, you know, eventually come back as, you know, you know, permanent staff for the program. You know, so that's one of our big programs that we have out here. We also have guided uh, mule deer and pronghorn and elk hunting out here at the center. We haven't hunted elk, or correction, we haven't hunted mule deer in the last five years. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, we just weren't seeing a lot of the bigger bucks out here. So when I took over last year, um, we did a lot of habitat restoration in our backcountry area. What so, kind of what kind of restoration do you guys do? I mean, we we kind of talk about that quite a bit uh, between ourselves, but oftentimes people, um, maybe if they're not hunters and listening to this, uh, you know, what what kind of habitat restoration or habitat work uh, is really effective for mule deer? And we were cleaning out quite a bit of that brush that's, you know, we have a bunch of roads in our backcountry area and cleaning out a lot of that brush, uh, improving our, our waters that are back there, dirt tanks, and putting out mineral out there for them as well. And just little tiny things I think that haven't been done in the past. We, we're doing a lot of our long-range shooting in our backcountry area. Mm -hmm. And so I removed all of our steel targets out of there to reduce the human presence back there. You know, so what the public sees out here on this side is about 10 to 15% of the, the property. And, you know, the only other people that see the backcountry are be our hunters. So we don't have any human presence back there now other than, you know, a few. So how many total acres for 
33,300. Wow, a lot bigger than even I realized it was. Yeah, cool. Um, so are you guys going to hunt mule deer this year? Next year. Next year. I wanted to rest it for five years, five or six years. And are, you, are you seeing any improvements? Yes, we are. We're seeing some big bucks out there, especially towards Cold Canyon where we have our Santa Fe Trail rendezvous. You know, out there along the creek bottom out there, there's been some big bucks. Seen a couple lion kills out here this past spring, which were some big non-typical bucks, and it's kind of exciting to see uh, some some bigger bucks hanging around now instead of just those you know big mature three by threes that are <laughs> have been out here for a long time. Were you were you here when they did uh, some of that? Uh, the game fish came in and did some collaring and things like that. Yes, I was um, the program director back then. Were you the program director? Uh, do you remember, was that related at all to the hunting, or was it just something they, that, uh, were they trying to get handle on numbers? What was, what was going on with that? We, Utah State University and Texas Tech University each had two different studies. One was more tracking predation, you know, and the fawn mortality, and, and that's what Texas Tech was doing. I'm not really sure what Utah State University was doing. That was a little bit before my time, but yeah, you, know, you still see them radio collar does out here, and other ones have tags in their ears. Plenty, definitely plenty of wildlife. Yeah. Texas Tech was also you know trapping bears out here in our traps that we have in the back country, and like Matt does for us occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Hey Josh, I was just wondering. Uh, how many employees do you have? I mean, is it different from the summer and winter? Uh, full-time staff, we have about 35 full-time employees out here. But, you know, a lot of our work this time of year wouldn't get done without our volunteer workforce. You know, people come out here from all over the country, and, you know, we give them lodging out here during the summertime. And in turn, they give us 20 hours of work a week. You know, and that might be as a range safety officer or working in our wood shop or running a piece of equipment or a weed eater or something like that or working in admin volunteering as uh, somebody in our museum or our memberships department so you know a lot of our work wouldn't get done without the volunteers but you know we have 35 full-time staff out here and you know, we have programs department which has three or four guys in it our memberships department our operations crew our maintenance crew is large so you know, it's, it's quite the quite the operation out here at the center if if somebody wants to get in contact with y'all to say find out about camping opportunities or just coming out here to shoot or um, hunting opportunities, where's the best way that they can do that? They can go to our website. It's www.nrawc.org, or they can contact the center direct at 575-445-3615, and they can talk to myself or anybody else that's down there at admin, and we can, depending on what their question is, if it's hunts, they can talk to me, and we can give them the prices for an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt, pronghorn hunt. We also do lion and bear hunts out here. We partner with uh, another outfitter that comes out here with dogs to do our lion and bear hunts. But Any turkey? Yeah, we do a lot of spring turkey hunts out here. Very nice. A lot of Miriams out here in the spring. and uh, no, no, no fall turkey hunting out here, though. So, Josh, I think one of the big misconceptions is that, and I've, I've heard it, is that the NRA Whittington Center is part of the NRA so or you know organization what's what's the uh, the relationship there and the NRA Whittington Center is part of the National Rifle Association we're set up as the special contribution fund of the NRA so you know it, it's in our DNA it's in our blood it's in our namesake the NRA and it's just we're set up as a 501c3 nonprofit organization so we keep our lights on and our employees 
paid by memberships, large donations, uh, competitor fees out here. So that, that's how we, you know, keep the center running. Yeah. But we are we are the NRA. It's definitely set in a beautiful setting, uh, northeastern New Mexico, right up uh, nestled against the the mountains, and and man, you have some great views, some great wildlife out here. Oh yeah, you know, and our ranges are great. You know, we just finished completing. Well, it's about ninety nine percent complete our law enforcement range to take care of our our game and fish officers and state police and local sheriff's department and police officers that come out here. Um, you know, a couple other ranges that we just finished. You know, are there on our South Flats area. We have still targets set at one hundred yard increments from one hundred yards out to two miles. Now, that's our our ELR range. Yeah. <laughs> so we do a lot of our uh, ELR classes out there and and host other companies that will come in here to teach, you know, sending large projectiles from here to way out there. So it's, there's a lot of growth out here. Uh, our shotgun program, we just expanded another six trap fields. We're looking to do more so we can host larger and bigger events out here. So it, it looks like a lot of fun. I, it sounds like a lot of fun. There's a lot of people around us having fun yeah. right now. Yeah, we have we'll the, get in some of that in a little bit. Yeah, we have the NRA National Silhouette Championships are going on right now. So that's Very some nice. of that gunfire here in the background. And we also have a bench rest match going on. And there's, there's a lot to, a lot going on right now. You've been generous enough to kind of come out and, and, and give us some of your time. I know you've got uh, some other stuff to do, so you're not going to be here for the whole podcast. But I kind of wanted to get uh, into a little bit more of the, the meat of the podcast while you're still here before you have to go. Um you're before this uh before you know being involved in nra whittington center you were a state police officer that's correct i was with the new mexico state police i graduated the state police academy in 2002 and then i was stationed in southern new mexico in 2005 i transferred up here to raton to this district and i just stayed here ever since that's how i got to know the whittington center is being a firearms instructor and arranged range officer we were always out here qualifying just like you guys are and that's how I got to know the staff and when an opportunity came made available for me to you know transition from law enforcement out here to NRA I, I jumped on it and here three years later you know now I'm running the show so. <laughs> pretty cool pretty cool you're also an avid hunter yes I am. did you draw any hunts this year I did I drew a muzzleloader tag out here in northeast New Mexico in unit 58 and you know, I'm excited about that and I know Matt here's got the same tag in his pocket, so sure do. <laughs> Fifty-eight. It's a I popular, popular familiar. deer hunting unit uh, in this group right now. I guess right? so. it is. There's four people sitting here. Must be something we tag. know that other people don't. <laughs> I hope so. Well, they all gonna know it now. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, that's a great area. I mean, there's really good area. Yeah, you know, dry Cimarron area that they're just. You know, we all know it, but you know, to the listeners out there, it's just there's some. There's some monster bucks and bulls out there, and it's well. And I, we touched on it, uh, I think, last podcast. In that, that's really you know, when it, when it, in in the state of New Mexico, when people think about big deer, what's the unit that people think about is obviously two B. Right. You know, they get those big uh, migrations in the winter time of those deer coming out of Colorado, and they all winter right there in that area. And there are some monster deer that come out of there, but. I think I was talking to Rodney about it. That uh, I think this is a, a underrated unit up here for the size of deer uh, that we have. Uh, I know Matt was talking about it just before we started the podcast about seeing some deer out there um, that were how big? Ah, uh, they were 
they're growing still so um, I'd probably say 110 about right now they score so um, they're, they're growing and getting big yeah so and it's not an easy hunt out there as we all know it's, you know, it's no. there's some rough country out there it's yeah broken terrain and, but you know I think it's underrated uh, especially since 90% of it is uh, private property and uh, the rest is state lease land uh, which you can't be out there kind of whenever you want you have to be out there for a reason um, so a lot of people don't get out and and uh, look to see what's out there yeah yeah for sure I think the moral to the story is, is if you see Matt out there somewhere hunt somewhere in the general vicinity where Matt's at Nick this fall there you go, go there. <laughs> there you go there. yeah so well, you're we're saying gonna, follow me huh <laughs> we're gonna have to come up and take a trip with him we've got that same not the same hunt but the same unit same unit uh Muzzle loader tags or We've got rifle, tags. rifle tags. Yeah, uh, kind of one of the things that we're here to do today is is uh, work on some weapon selection uh, for that hunt, as we're as well as our elk hunt and the colon neblet, um, and do some sighting in and uh, some practice shooting and and um, some weapons clean. Was the colon neblet was it affected by the U Park fire? It burnt. It back burned into the. Nebula a little bit, but uh, it was a long ways from that Tolby area where most of those elk hang out. Um, so any hunter that has a tag that drew a tag down there won't be affected in this fall by No, it. probably not. Um, what will be probably more of a, and we talked about this as well, more of a beneficial effect is that we actually went in there, the game, or the game and fish actually went in there and cleared a bunch and did some slash pile burning, and so that's going to be beneficial as well. Good. Yeah, so, um, well, I think it's about time for you to get out of here. I don't want to, I don't want to, if you, if you want to stay, we're, we, we welcome you to stay, but I think you got stuff to do. Yes, so. I do. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Look forward to doing more of these. Yeah, yeah we definitely. really appreciate having you, man. Um, uh, I think, uh, there's a lot of people that know about the NRA Whittington Center, uh, but maybe they just heard about it and don't know what a world-class facility it really it really is it's it's phenomenal it is you know and like you said earlier in the in this podcast you know it's open to the general public general public can come out here they can pay a daily range fee of twenty dollars to shoot on any of the ranges or they can purchase a membership you know memberships start at you know thirty dollars for an individual or fifty dollars for a, a family membership and that's a year yearly membership and of course we have lifetime memberships which are sustaining which go up from there but again you know we welcome people to come out here and shoot on our facilities and and use it awesome excellent cool all righty oh you you killed it didn't you yeah okay that's fine i just you're still going hell no mine never started (laughs) (laughs) yours is good don't worry about it you got you got it Welcome back to Not a Grande Outdoors. Uh, Josh Adams had to step away for the for the rest of the day, but we are now here with uh, Mr. Robbie Roberts. Yes, sir. Uh, still have myself, Rodney, uh, Kyle Jackson, and Matthew Ordonez with us. Unfortunately, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we just went on a heck of a tour with Robbie. Um, took us around, showed us. Um, pretty much everything 
here on the Whittington Center, the NRA Whittington mm-hmm. Center. You are the uh, curator of collections, is that correct? Yeah, I'm the museum curator and the librarian and any other collections, some arrowheads. I mean, I get it all, so yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you have quite a collection. Yes, we do. Yes, yes we do. Yes. A lot of, lot of guns, uh, a lot of mounts, and you've got a lot more of those to deal with now. Yes, we do. Yeah, we uh, just got 42 in, so yeah. A lot of shooting ranges, a uh, lot of lot of cool stuff out here. Um, tell us about what you do out here. Well, basically, I'm you know I'm the curator for the museum, and uh, museum's not that old. It was we opened it in 2008, and shortly after we opened it, we figured out it was way too small. So now we're in the process of trying to raise some money to enlarge it to about three, two to three times the size of it is now. And the whole goal of the museum is to tell the history of the Southwest through firearms and um, the relics that, that from, from days gone by. And we think we've done that fairly well. We start in the early Spanish days and come all the way up through modern times. Um, we have got a very unique collection of firearms and it's getting bigger and better every day. And that's why we have to try to expand the museum. Uh, but we're in just such a unique place to do, to tell the history of the Southwest with the Santa Fe Trail running right through our property and all that history that's associated with it. Cimarron's just down the road with an incredible amount of history. So when they built this place, I'm sure they weren't thinking about the historical uh, environment that it was going to be sitting in, but we sure do. We understand it now. Right. Well, so you're talking about, uh, we, you know, hoping to tell the story of the Southwest mm-hmm. uh, in New Mexico or the Southwest of the United States. Yes. But really... Don't those firearms bring in history from all over the world? Yes, they do. And people will say, well, then why do you have a, a World War One display if it's the history of the Southwest? You don't think the people from the Southwest didn't serve in the military during World War One? <laughs> you know, yes, we did, okay? Uh, so by just calling it the history of the Southwest, it opens it up to everything, whether it's European or uh um, Eastern, it doesn't matter. I mean, it all factors into the history of the Southwest at some point in time, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, well, a lot of Spanish influence here in the Southwest. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the conquistadors. Yes. Uh, how those, uh, you know, integrated and and uh, interacted with the the native tribes, and then you have the influx of European from the the e or from the east. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this place is amazing. I mean, with the history, you know, you go back to the Native Americans and er, even earlier than that, what we call the Palo times, mm-hmm. which are the really early American Indians. Um, and that was all done around here. Folsom, the Folsom Point, was found not too far from here. So that, all the, even prehistoric times factor into where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what just makes it such an amazing location. Uh, and do I enjoy my job? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I love history. I love guns. Uh, and I like telling the stories. Um, right. And we get lots of stories here. One of one of the neat exhibits that I liked in there was the uh, Civil War exhibit. You know, mm-hmm. Most people, when they think of the Civil War, are definitely not thinking of New Mexico. That's correct. That's correct. So. What happened in New Mexico, uh, Glorieta, which is about 100 miles south of here, uh, most historians refer to that as the Gettysburg of the West because that was the high water mark of the Confederate intrusion into the West. And they actually met at, at Glorietta, fought a battle. Um, the, the Confederates weren't actually beaten, but they lost their wagon trains. So they lost, lost all their supplies, so they were forced 
to retreat. They went back to Texas and they never came back. So that's, and so Glorieta was actually a pretty significant battle that was fought here in New Mexico. So I heard a really funny story. Well, not heard. I read a really funny story. There's a book uh, called Blood and Thunder mm -hmm. about Kit Carson. I don't know if yeah. you've read that book. I've heard it. Um, really, really good book. Uh, it's not a fast reader. It's a historic read. Right. And so there's a lot of, a lot of material in there. Uh, but uh, when the Confederates came up the Rio Grande, uh, they bypassed some of the major forts that were in New Mexico, and um, they had men, materials, ready to defend those forts, and the Confederates just bypassed them. Well, Kit Carson was, was helping out the Union at that point yes. in time, and they had a, this plan, oh, we're going to run off all their stock and we're going to blow up their supply train, and they strapped a bunch of dynamite to some mules. And they sent those mules off to mingle with the other stock and lit the fuse for the dynamite. Well, what happened was one of the horses that they had had a jingle what had a jingle bob on it. Basically a, a neck it's a it's a lead uh, mule type of thing. Yep. They put an, uh, a bell on the neck and the other horses will follow that horse and uh, you can find them in the night. Well, all those mules come back. <laughs> and blew up instead of the Confederates, you know, equipment and stuff like that blew up all the Union stuff. Union stuff. So lots of interesting stories as far as the the, the oh, Civil yeah. War is concerned here in this. Yeah, and like I said, world. it's a, a, a piece of history that most people don't think of when you talk about the West, and yeah. New Mexico. The New Mexico territory was never a slave territory, okay, um, but the the Texans definitely wanted to take over a big chunk of this land. And we actually belonged to Texas at one point in time anyway, you know, yeah. back in the early days. Yeah. Everything uh, east, everything north and east of the Rio Grande was, was Texas. Texas, yeah. Originally. That was after the, the Spanish gave up and the Mexican gave up title to the land. Mm -hmm. So we actually belonged to Texas. So, yeah. Don't say Which, that too I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't talk about that very often. <laughs> no. no. Um, so about the Whittington Center, mm -hmm. there, you know, you have, the, you have the museum, you have all the shooting ranges. Uh, you have Hans. What else, what else is there to do here? What all well, what all things do y'all offer? Here's an amazing. I don't know if Josh talked about it this morning or not, but the amazing number is we get about 120,000 people through here every year. Only 10% of that are what we call competitive shooters. That's not a very big number when you stop and think mm -hmm. about it. So, yes, we do have some what we call informal shooters, but there's a vast amount of people that come out here Never pull a trigger. They just enjoy the facility. They enjoy the scenery, the weather, the wildlife is amazing out here. Mm -hmm. And so we get, I mean, that's, you don't have to be a shooter or a hunter to come out and enjoy this facility. That's 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 an amazing fact to note to me if you think about. Yeah, so you took us on a, a quick tour of not just the ranges, but the facilities that you have. And you've got two RV Campgrounds, yes. full hookups, yes. water, electric. Yep. You've got competitor housing that uh, can house about 90, 90 people, people in the three cabins. Yep. Um, and then you've got the founders' cabins yes. that can house quite a few people. Yeah, fair amount. Fair yeah. amount. Uh, and then some bunk houses up by the the, the tree line the up there. The tree yep. line. And then you've got a primitive camping yes. area. I mean, just a, an insane amount of. Uh, we can accommodate just about everybody out here now. The, the issue is a lot of people like to come out in the summertime. Well, that's our busy, we call it our silly season. That's when all the competitions run. Mm -hmm. So getting housing out here 
in the summertime can be difficult, right. if not impossible. Um, we encourage people that just want to come out and enjoy the facility, come out early spring and then late September, early October, where all the big crowds are gone, the weather's good, and the animals are at their best, and, and enjoy it. Um, you, you're more than welcome. We never fill up RVs, so there's always RV slots available. Uh, primitive camp is usually pretty open. to competitor housing and founders is what fills up, and it's almost impossible to get a room. But we encourage people to come out here. I mean, you don't have to pull a trigger to come out here and enjoy this place. If, but if you're full up, we also, I mean, we're, what, 10 miles from Raton? Yeah, if that. Multiple yeah. Oh, yeah, they got um, plenty of so hotel like, rooms down yeah. there. Uh, if you want to spend the night, uh, they've got uh, a campground down there, um, a KOA. Okay, right. uh, then you go down the other way, you can go down to Cimarron. If you want to really get into the history and stay in the St. James for the night, and they've maintained a lot of the rooms from the old days that are still furnished the way they were back in the Old West when, um, you know, Annie Oakley came through here and the Earp Brothers. Uh, the guest registry down there reads like a history book. It's amazing the people that came well, through the, here. Well, and the building itself, they've still got the bullet holes. In the bar. In the bar. Yes, from, they do. From the cowboys who were shooting. And, yes. Um, um, it was a wild town. Cimarron was a very wild place. It was violent. They Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, they had some really bad people that lived there. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I mean, and, and of course, all the old rooms are haunted. All right. So you got to put up with the ghosts. Right. So anyway, yeah. So I mean, there's places to stay here if you can't get out here, um, but it's it's a this we want people to come out. You know, you know, we encourage people to come out. Uh, it's an amazing facility. It, it's a one of a kind facility. It'll never be duplicated. Yeah, it, we we enjoyed the we enjoyed the tour. Very neat place. Like you said, lots to do. Uh, wildlife hiking, camping, yep. um, shooting. Um, all types of shooting from long-range rifles to pistols and shotguns down yes. to archery equipment. Yep. Uh, pretty much nothing that you can't do here from what uh, I've seen. We used to do cannon matches out here. Now, that's what that, cool. that, that was an incredible <laughs> sight. When, when you do that, what, what date's that? Yeah. Well, we had a group that came out of Colorado, and they had, these were all period guns, uh, Revolutionary War, Civil War guns. They were replicas, okay, and a huge amount of money tied up in them. But they all get in a period of clothing, and they come out, and, they, and uh, right across from competitor housing, we let them shoot out there. And uh, it, drew a, it drew a crowd. I uh, bet. Because it was, they had, they had two ladies that actually ran a mortar. And when they weren't competing, okay, they actually, they would put 16 ounces, that's a pound of black powder under a bowling ball, mm. and launch it, okay, and it would go clean out of sight. I mean, seriously. When they did that, they didn't, they didn't, use, they didn't fill the finger holes. So the next thing you hear is that bowling ball was coming back down to earth. Oh, and the crowd just went crazy, you know. I mean, it was all done safely, but, yeah, it was a hoot to watch. Very cool. Very yeah, the cool. old black powder, because powder, they brought smooth bores and they brought rifle guns. Yeah. So it was pretty amazing. So you're talking about a little bit of the history mm -hmm. of this area, and you told us a story about, about the Santa Fe Trail. Go back through that with us. As far as how they traveled down the trail? How they traveled down the trail and the landmarks that they used and that there were actually two different paths. Yeah, there's, there's two different. When you look at the map of the Santa Fe Trail, there's the mountain route and then uh, the plain route, I think they call it. They may, it may be, I may got that name wrong. But the folks that came down through the mountain uh, or through the plains crossed the, um, the Raton Pass. 
And as they were coming up over the pass, we got a predominant peak out here we call Red River Peak. And they would use that as a major navigation point coming off of Raton Pass. Mm -hmm. So they brought their wagons right through the middle of the Whittington Center. And most people think of, when they look at pictures and think about the Santa Fe Trail, you get all these covered wagons lined up right behind one. When they got out in the open, they didn't do that. Yeah, you get your modern kind of concept of a road. Right, exactly. And it's not that. No. They would spread out four, five, six, seven, eight wagons wide. That's why the ruts run all through our, our what we call our flats out here. Uh, and they're all over the place. Um, and a lot of them are still visible, but they're getting really hard to see. So, you know, you got to really look for them. One of the few places along the trail that's open to the public. Most of the Santa Fe Trail is actually located on private property and you can't get to it. Yeah, there's but a lot we of encourage people, if you want to walk along the Santa Fe Trail and kick the dirt, you're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, so. and so you mentioned they would spread out. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, having grown up on a ranch and having done cattle drives, I can tell you by personal experience, the reason they did that was because you don't want to eat dust exactly. all day long. So if you spread out, then you're not eating somebody else's dust. And, and especially if you get into, a, you know, I... Um, there's places that I've seen where uh, that trail has to get necked down, and so they do have to go single file. If you're the last yes. guy in the train, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. No, and that's very true. And just coming through the pass was very treacherous. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, one of the very first early American entrepreneurs was a guy named Wooten, Dick Wooten. Mm -hmm. And he actually owned some land up there, and he put a gate across the Santa Fe Trail. And he would charge a toll if you wanted to come through the Santa Fe Trail. And I think it was uh, like a nickel a horse or 25 cents a wagon. It was some, to us, is not a significant amount of money. No, but back then. Back then, especially when you weren't expecting it, you'd come up and here's a toll gate, okay? Uh, the only ones he didn't charge were the Indians because they actually helped build the build that trail. Yeah. Uh, but everybody else, whether you were civilian or military, you had to pay the toll if you wanted to cross. And once you got there... What are you going to do? You can't turn, turn around. around. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, yeah, he was, a, uh, I guess, the earliest, one of the earliest entrepreneurs in this country. And it worked. And he greeted everybody with a 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> so if you wanted to argue about it, it didn't last long. Yeah. yeah. So, Sounds like it. Yeah. Anyway, that's just part of the local history. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh it the the museum is fantastic I, i'm i actually the tour that we took was a little short i'd like to go back and look at the guns a little bit more um and then the library uh is full of mounts right now yeah we're gonna we're gonna work on getting those out of there and getting them hung up um, but the library we're actually looking at like i said re, you know, extending our our museum and part of the problem we have is the library um Nobody, in all honesty, nobody uses libraries anymore. Mm -hmm. They they get online and they Google it and do whatever, you know, Wikipedia and all that, which is fine. I mean, it's got its place. But this, we made the decision is, um, even though it doesn't get a lot, of, I use it mm -hmm. researching different things, but we're obligated to keep it, and we're going to keep it. You know, we just got to find a, figure out a way to, to get it housed. So what type of research do you do? Uh, I mean, what what kind of resources do you have in the library? Oh, a little bit of everything. We, I mean, anything firearm related. Uh, hunting, of course, is a big part of our library. Reloading. Um, I have an ammunition collection that you guys didn't get a chance to see because it's got a bunch of mounts stacked up against it. But it's uh, probably one of the largest ammunition collections in this country. 
and it starts. It's got some. <laughs> I know it took me a year to put that collection together. <laughs> uh, Meeting another guy, but anyway, uh, it's a phenomenal thing that people just need to see. Yeah. Um, and some of the stuff that they invented, you know, especially the wildcat cartridges. Yeah. Oh my God! Because I got a whole section of just wildcats. But anyway, that's just something that it actually belongs in the museum, but we just didn't have room for it. So anyway, it's housed in the library. So, so we've got anything from firearms to hunting to reloading, history, uh, world history, American history, of course, um, shooting uh, disciplines. We've got it all in that library, and some of it is is the old stuff that you can't find anymore. Yeah, and every, almost ninety nine percent of the books that are in there were donated. And I still get books all the time. I got a whole stack of World War One, two books. I got to get cataloged and put away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a good library. We're going to keep it. Um, you know, people say, "Well, let's just get rid of it." And I said, "Well, what are you going to do with the books?" Because I am not for burning books. Okay? Yeah. No. I'm sorry, I just don't do that. So we're going to keep it. Good. So. Well, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. I mean, I know libraries aren't used that often no, anymore, not. but the fact is that uh, you know. Technology is great, but sometimes it just yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the flipping through a book. Yeah, no, you it's know, good, and, and it's unfortunately, good a lot of what you see on Wikipedia is not exactly 100 percent correct. Yeah, to say the least. So, <laughs> but yeah, but it's a good source. Don't get me wrong; it's useful. But I still are flipping through a book. So, so what's your favorite? I guess uh, what's your favorite piece exhibit there in the museum? I really like. Um, the I like the the Lambert Legacy display, which is all about local history out of San, uh, Cimarron in that area. And the and Lamberts that, are the ones who made. Started he, the he's the Saint James. Fred, Fred Lambert was a French immigrant that wound up out west out here. He built the Saint James. Okay. And you know, here you are traveling down the Santa Fe Trail, and you can stop at Saint James, stay in a room with a roof over your head, and eat a French meal, which is pretty awesome. Okay. Uh, but he built the St. James. It was a, a favorite watering hole. Um, Annie Oakley met Buffalo Bill Cody there to work out the details for her to join the Wild West Show. Um, he was a territorial government, wrote Ben-Hur, the big the novel. That was his name. Anyway, he wrote a lot of his novels sitting in a room at the St. James. Lou Wallace? Lou Wallace, yeah. yes. Um, the James boys came through here, uh, at least Jesse did. Um, the Earp brothers, Doc Holliday, and they all stayed there. Uh, on the, and primarily, they were traveling to Tombstone. So, you know, Doc actually spent a time up here as a marshal, believe it or not, in Trinidad. Bat Masterson did and too. And Bat Masterson did too, yeah. yeah. So, the the cast, Jesse, or uh, Billy the Kid is rumored to come through here. Garrett had been through the St. James. So, I mean, you talk about history? Oh, my God. Yeah. It doesn't get, get any better than this, yeah. you know. So, um, you know, the the Buffalo Soldiers, and a lot of people don't know, when I say Buffalo Soldiers, they go, they have no idea who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. And it was two regiments of black cavalry. Yeah. And they 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 stationed out here, and one of them, uh, the ninth, I think, was stationed at Fort Union, and they actually had a detachment that stayed at Rialdo, okay, to help solve the Indian problem, uh, and where Kit Carson had his home, uh, one of his homes, and... Uh, they don't understand the history behind the Buffalo Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a very bad guy, bad character, lived in, had owned a ranch outside of Cimarron. His name was Clay Allison, and he was truly a bad guy. He's, uh, uh, people, people, you know, everybody gets fixated on, you know, 
Billy Kid. Billy Kid is synonymous with New Mexico. Right. Clay Allison was a bad guy. Yes, he was a very bad guy, and he was an ex-Confederate soldier that had migrated out west. So when the Buffalo soldiers started showing up, black soldiers in federal uniform, that did not sit well with Clay Allison. And he killed three or four of them right there in the main street of Cimarron just because they were black and wearing a blue uniform. Mm -hmm. um, so we had those kind of characters. Uh, black Jack Ketchum was another bad guy. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, he was hung right over here in Clayton. Mm -hmm. And when they hung him, his head, they decapitated him by accident. The, the uh, rope was too long. No, what or happened was, was he was he tried to rob a train out here at Roy, mm -hmm. out by Roy, and he got shot. Well, the, for whatever reason, the Trinidad Sheriff went out the next day and picked him up. Took him back to Trinidad, and he was wounded during the train, the train robbery, and they wound up amputating his arm. They had to get him better before they could hang him, um, which I never figured out. But anyway, what happened was he gained a lot of weight while he was waiting for all this, uh -huh. and they misjudged his weight. So when he hit the bottom of the rope, it, it unfortunately decapitated him. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he cared because he didn't feel a thing. Yeah. But it, it, and that was the last public hanging in the state of New Mexico. Yep. So, a lot of history in this But program. yeah, but so Blackjack is a well-known character. I used to have his revolver in the museum, and I'm trying to get it back. You know, that'd, that'd be cool. Yeah, it, it's his gun that the sheriff Trinidad took off of him when they arrested me. Hmm. Yeah, pretty neat. It's a cold single action, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I'm trying to get that back. Blows the NRA, but I'm trying to get it back out here for a while. Anyway, but that, the history around here is just amazing. Yeah. So. We really appreciate the time that you spent with us. It's been. Sure. Fantastic. I'm a I'm a personally a history buff, so I I could spend all day out here doing this, but uh, I'm sure you've got a few other things to do. Yeah, so. I've got another tour this afternoon, but um, I, I encourage you know if you're listening to this or watching this, if you've never been here, you need to come out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Make a schedule a weekend, schedule a day, um, get yeah. out here and check this place out. It is really amazing. Beautiful and, country. Well, we try to do it in our museum if we get enough notice, and we're small enough. Where we'll get you know, a group will contact me and I do a, what we call a white glove tour, and we'll actually open the cabinets and and they can handle some of these old guns, you know, like the matchlock we were looking at this morning, um, and some of the old you know handle a gun that went to Cuba during the Spanish American War, yeah. and we try to do that as much as possible, and we encourage that. And if we if we have have to have a little notice, right? You know, and, and it needs to be a fairly small group. But um, we, we try to do that. Um, I've been trying to get kids in high school out here from Raton, and I just can't get the Board of Education to move and think it's a good thing to do because it's part of our history. Yeah. You know, and they can learn a lot out here. I think they could anyway. So Anyway, um, I got a tour this afternoon. I'm some kind of economic development group. But it's been fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and if you ever want you know, to do one of, you know, a tour of the museum or the facility, Call me, you know, and uh, we'll make it happen. Fantastic. Will I think, uh, Josh uh, gave the contact information this morning. Okay. We'll put it all on our uh, on our website, on our Facebook. Uh, it's been really good having you. Thank you so much. You enjoyed it very Appreciate much. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. You bet. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are back. We had the opportunity to talk to Josh Adams, Executive Director of the NRA Whittington Center, and also had Robbie Roberts, uh, Curator of Collections, 
um, out here at the NRA Whittington Center. Some really good information. Really glad to have those guys as guests. Uh, all that's left are me and Rodney and Matt Ordonez. Matt hadn't been talking much in the last couple of segments. I don't think but, he said uh, a word that last segment. I don't segment. know if did he did. No, I, don't I don't even think, think so. he said hello when we introduced him. I he's sneaky. That is uh, sneaky. He's a game warden. Yeah, we sneaky. Sneaky. <laughs> underestimate the sneakiness. <laughs> so uh, hopefully he'll pipe up a little more in, the, in this segment. We're going to talk about uh, weapon selection. Uh, if you're hunting, you're obviously going to have to have a weapon of some sort. Uh, so how do you choose that? What uh, caliber are you choosing? And I guess we're going to focus mainly on on rifle because that's what we drew this year yeah that that's going to have a lot to do with it you know um when you put in for your hunts you're going to be choosing between archery muzzleloader and rifle so there's one step of your weapon selection right there yeah and that's going to be taken care of um kind of when you put in of course you know some of these hunts you can put in archery first choice muzzleloader second choice and rifle third so but when you get drawn that's going to take care of a portion of it so um, like you said we drew two rifle tags this year something that we haven't done in a while like i said we had that little backdoor elk hunt that we did over there at your place but i don't know that i'd consider that really much of a hunt well no it was kind of just go out and harvest one right yeah you go out <laughs> in your slippers and your pajamas and... the trick to that one was catching them before they jump the fence on the that that property. was the hard part it, it was it was a it was a 15 minute hunt um and 14 of that was getting dressed and one minute was running back to the back fence and seeing if they were still there yeah <laughs> you could call that a meat hunt that's what it was okay we'll call it a meat hunt meat hunt um so yeah uh, I, don't, I don't even know if we call it a hunt, maybe a, a meat harvest. harvest. Yeah, meat harvest. That's all we did. We harvested two elk So. and almost lost an arm in a winch. That's, well, let's not open that back of, back of worms. No. Your wife's, oh, your wife's standing me. by, so you might get right. Uh, get shot for that one. So. Um, Coming back to to your weapon selection, obviously we're talking about rifles. Um, first thing we're going to talk about is legality, mm -hmm. and I we're going to uh, lean on Matt for this. Uh, we drew elk hunt and deer hunt, so what are your legal calibers for elk hunting in New Mexico? So the smallest uh, legal caliber is going to be a .24 caliber center fire rifle. Uh, for elk in New Mexico, um, so essentially a 243 would be the smallest rifle that is uh, legally acceptable. So that that's going to rule out, you know, any of your like 22, 250. Definitely. Um, and it's, you, you, I'm, I'm, I missed a little bit. Did you say centerfire? I, I did. did. Okay. I did say centerfire. Okay. Yeah. So, um, centerfire. 243, 240 caliber, yep. and above, right? Correct. Under the current regulation. Um, and why is that? You know, that's just kind of what they deem uh, appropriate um, for elk. It is a big game animal. Um, it is fairly light-skinned, but they are tough animals. Um, I mean, you can... Uh, elk will go down with a 223, you know, um, 
with all this is definitely shop placement. Um, that's the biggest thing, uh, but the 242.24 caliber is uh, the minimum that New Mexico requires. And basically, we want something with enough oomph uh, to put them on the ground. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, so deer, what's the legal caliber for deer? So deer is going to be a 0.22 caliber uh, center fire center fire rifle or larger um so you know your 223 will work um 22 250 uh center fire um stuff like that and uh, just keep in mind you know the distances you're wanting to shoot um at all these animals will kind of depend on the caliber and what you really feel comfortable with uh shooting so matt <laughs> i'm gonna pick on you a little bit here um what about a five millimeter <laughs> a five millimeter uh no <laughs> why not <laughs> it is a rim fire rim fire cartridge rim right? fire. Yeah. yeah so we had i uh, and i'm out and mad here a little bit um you had a case recently where a guy was out uh and and we won't even get into the whole thing but uh he was out with a five millimeter rifle and you know we there's some and he's out hunting coons right yeah he was raccoons out coons. and spotlighting for raccoons and so we were trying to figure out you know there's a certain caliber up to which you can hunt raccoons and still be legal and i have a six millimeter mauser and a common caliber for big game is a seven millimeter and so we were thinking five millimeter yeah that's way outside the box yeah no it wasn't it was it, wasn't. A, it was well, a rimfire for for com cartridge for compar comparison purposes a six millimeter is very comparable to a 243 yes um and so so your five millimeter would put you below that yeah yeah it, for elk when i looked at the bullet for the five millimeter it was comparable to like a 17 HMR or something like that. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, so it shoot super fast, but still smaller. Very than small that. caliber. Yeah. And, and, I, and now they have, I think, and I know that we're hunting rifle, but yes. speaking of diameters, there's there's minimum uh, diameter on um, broadheads as well, that you must have, is there not? Don't believe there is. I I, all I think diameter. it says is it's a it has to have a steel cutting, cutting edge. Blade, yeah, cutting edge. Does, like so I don't not, think there's, there's a not diameter. a minimum diameter. No, not in New Mexico. Okay. So just has to have a steel cutting edge. Steel cutting edge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, uh, kind of where I was going with that is, uh, um, nobody understands millimeters. Just, just don't, <laughs> don't no. mess with it. No. <laughs> You know, in America, shoot, shoot caliber. There's so many different kinds of cartridges out there, and if you're not a a gun guru, and by all means, I'm definitely not. Um, definitely, tell you, start asking some questions and research. And yeah, stuff like all joking, that. all joking aside, uh, whatever you are shooting, understand the ins and outs of it. Uh, understand, you know, where it falls within the legality and and be competent with it yeah yeah know. and that's you know you don't want to get even me you know 
I don't want to shoot anything that um, has too much kick, too much noise. Uh, you get gun shy mm -hmm. uh, if you're not comfortable with it. Same thing with kids. You know, you don't want anything that's too large. You have to get to that minimum, but you don't want anything that's too large with too much kick because they're just not going to be comfortable. They're going to flinch. They're going to miss. You're going to get a bad shot on an animal. New shooters. Be comfortable with yeah. what you're shooting. I mean, yeah. if you got... Uh, I've seen it with my own wife. Uh, it's it's the bang and the and the movement of the gun just really freaks people out right. if, they, if they're not right. used to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you get into bigger calibers, and obviously the recoil and the, and the you know the pounding that your shoulders are going to take is 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 a big consideration. So going back to those legal calibers, we talked about legality. I think the logical next step is to talk about. Ethically, what should you use? And well, this is a this is a muddy this is a yeah, really muddy subject, and I know the, uh, there this has been hashed out a million times right. over. Yeah, ethics brings into brings into the argument opinion, um, and opinion is is opinion is tough. You've you've got people in different areas of the world who grew up doing different things and they may view the way we do things as unethical and we may do the same thing so it's hard to bring ethics into that as long as you're staying within legal bounds and you can make um, a good shot placement with your choice of firearms um, I, for example i'm not uh, I'm not a huge fan of long-range shooting. Uh, Didon is a long-range shooter. He's mm -hmm. our buddy. Uh, we'll have him on here one of these days. He's a long-range shooter, and he likes to shoot out there five, six, seven, eight hundred yards. My personal opinion is that too much can happen between the time that you pull the trigger and the cartridge gets to the the bullet gets to the, the bullet gets to the animal. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if he can make that shot. 10 out of 10 times, who, who am I to argue? So take your own, your own level of uh, competency with that firearm and use that to judge. You know, some people can't shoot 1,000 yards. Some people shouldn't shoot past 200. Yeah. Some people shouldn't shoot past 100. Um, Dedon shouldn't shoot inside 100. No, Dedon <laughs> needs to be... This is Dedon's hunt because he shouldn't be shooting Correct. anywhere inside 100, 100 yards. Well, and I guess another thing you can think of is, uh, you know, uh, packing that rifle around. Um, a 7 mag could be heavier than, uh, you know, 243 poundage-wise. A couple of pounds if you're backpacking in uh, definitely make a difference. Right. Um, yeah. Um, something we talked about last night. I mean, you have a, you have an old 3030 that belonged to your grandfather's grandfather correct. or something like correct. that. And, and we were discussing... You know, should you take because you want to kill something with it? I do. I, I want to harvest an animal uh, with that weapon, and then I want to hang it on the wall uh, until my son is old enough to harvest one with it, and then he'll do the same and hang it on his wall until his kids. Um, so that is an important choice to me for for weapon choice, or important important factor in weapon choice for me is that thirty thirty. Yeah, and so we discussed it last night <clears throat> that. You know, he was uh, Rodney was saying he wanted to possibly hunt elk uh, with that rifle, and because of the terrain 
that we're going to be in, and we talked about all this in, in the previous pod, you know, in a previous podcast, but because of the training that we're in, you know, that might be a good place for him to actually use that rifle. And yeah, I, close, close train, just to explain the train. You know, yeah. we're, we're going to be in some brushier stuff, and there's going to be some, some, air, thicker, some, timber, some thicker timber, and, and that thirty thirty, you know, with iron sights, open sights, it's, it's, it's a brush gun. That's what they're made for. Um, but it's a quick reaction rifle. Yeah. Um, as opposed to uh, the bolt action with the scope on top of it, uh, where you have to, you know, when you see the animal, now you have to get the rifle up, you have to get it in your shoulder, you have to find the animal in your scope, you have to, where the thirty thirty, it's a quick reaction rifle. Yeah. And so the discussion last night was, well, um, that elk hunt is a walk-in only, and so you're only going to be taking a rifle. And so, you know, I told him if it was me, I would take something with an optic on it. So, meaning probably is 270, uh, just because if you get a shot and because of the uh, harvest opportunity in that in that unit, if you get a shot, doesn't matter if it's within 50 yards or out to 200 yards, because you could have a shot out to 200 based on you know the the meadows and things like that. Yeah. So if you're only going to take one. Uh, which is true for that elk hunt, I would take the 270 with an optic on it you have, just because of those factors. And I told him if it was me, I would probably take that that 3030 along with uh, another rifle with an optic on it on our deer hunt because that's going to be kind of a drive around. It's not a hike-in only, and so the opportunity for you to maybe use that is probably going to be better. And and welcome to Not a Grande Outdoors. This is the exact type of thing that we're talking about. So all of, all of the things that Kyle just said, I 100% agree with. Um, there's all kinds of different factors that go into what you're going to do when you're going to go hunt. Um, I, I agree with him. Um, we we kind of discussed it, me you and and Matt here before the podcast, um, the type of things about like. Who gets to shoot first? So there's yeah. three of us going on this hunt, right? Yeah. And me and Dedon both really need to harvest an animal, so that's a factor. So so taking my my 270 with the scope would be beneficial in that area to making sure I have the best opportunity to harvest an animal. At the same token, we're a pretty close knit group. If I see something jump out at me at 100 yards and I can crack at it with that 30-30, great. If I see something at 250. You're standing next to me with a rifle and a scope. Um, we don't typically hunt rifle. Very seldom do we even put in for a rifle. I mean, yeah. how many times have we put in for a rifle hunt over the past 10 years? These are the only two, um, other than that elk hunt, usually which I didn't have. Yeah, bow. usually it's muzzleloader bow. So by taking, and I haven't made up my mind yet, but by taking that 30-30 on two hunts, I'm doubling my chances of harvesting an animal with my granddad's thirty thirty, and if I don't get the opportunity because it's too far, like I said, you and Dita aren't going to be standing next to me, and and that's fine. Well, right? point. You know, the other option is, uh, say you do take your thirty thirty and uh, don't get close enough, and and want that bull. Um, Kyle has a two seventy rifle. He can just kind of hand it to you, and he yeah, can, no. unless no. he's cross-eyed no. or no. you know, he no, can. <laughs> he can. <laughs> he's not. No, he can. He chose his. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. That, like, like I said, that's what we're talking about here is all these factors that go into to choosing what you're going to do, man. It's, it's not just a grab a gun and let's go type of thing. There's a lot of people out there that don't really understand hunting. You know, the non-hunting population, uh, there's two sides of it. There's the anti-hunters and the non-hunting population. But both of them, you know, that's kind of a crowd we're, we're, we do want to speak to is this is more than just going out and killing an animal. Um, Absolutely. There's a lot to this, and and that thirty thirty is is special to me uh, because it was given to me my, by my granddad, and and that plays pretty. That is going to play pretty heavily into my choice. I can promise you that. Uh, which whichever way I do decide to go. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, when you're hunting deer, let's have you you've hunted deer with rifle. Definitely. Um, probably when you were younger. Yeah. You're, you're kind of to the stage now where you're uh, you're enjoying the experience trying different um, types of weapon type and all yep. that stuff. But you've hunted with a rifle. With a rifle, what's your comfortable range for a deer? Um, and, you know, what's, what's your favorite caliber? My comfortable range for a deer is... Uh... 200 yards and in um i can shoot out farther but i tend not to on the animal just because uh, i i don't want to wound it and not recover it and stuff like that um so i tend to stay 200 yards and in um and i've recently found a seven millimeter 08 uh, that's i think my new favorite caliber um it's a phenomenal caliber why it's just so versatile um pretty much a neck down 308 um and it's good for elk deer i harvested my barbary sheep last february with it um phenomenal just phenomenal gun. Uh, on that on that cartridge um i'm glad you brought that up see so my daughter is going to be doing her first deer hunt this mm-hmm. year and i've always heard that a seven millimeter 08 is a great youth or or women's model firearm to start with definitely uh my wife went on her first big game hunt, um, unsuccessful. Uh, she did have a couple shot opportunities. Um, I, you know, just jitters, I think, is what got to her. And she used that 708, and uh, she loved it. She, she told me uh, she didn't kick or, or anything like that. We came out to the range and shot it, and she was very comfortable with that. that yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in that caliber and trying it out for, for my daughter this year. Um, so I'm gonna definitely have to look into that. I think I think Matt is, and I mean you could you could stretch that to elk as well. I think Matt's kind of in a good area there. Again, you know, not being prolific long range shooters, and th- uh, uh, acknowledging that this is an area in which there is endless debate. Yeah, calibers, yeah. distances, never... things like that. Um, I think Matt's in a good area there. You know, find what's a comfortable, uh, comfortable range for you, and then, and then work from there. You know, I, I think 200. Uh, Matt, you sight in at about 100 yards. I do. I put it dead on at 100 yards, and and uh, I go from there. And so it's a little bit of a personal opinion. I I tend to sight in at 200 uh, because I know it's only going to be inch, inch and a half high at 100 yards, and it's only going to drop. You know, depending on the caliber, look. You know, everybody's got Google. Get on there, 
figure out what caliber you're going to shoot, figure out what, and we're getting a little bit into the ammo stuff, but sure. figure out what bullet weight you're going to shoot. And it'll tell you there are graphs and, uh, you know, we talked to Robbie a little bit earlier about reloading and but there are books, graphs, there's a ton of information out there about the bullet drop and, and all that stuff. And so, but for me, you know, shooting anything from a 270 to a, uh, to a 300 to a 308, that 200 to 400 range, uh, I'm pretty comfortable with. Yeah. And there so whether it's deer elk whatever. There's there's like you said endless debate on best caliber for this, best caliber for that, best caliber for all around like you mentioned the 7 mm 08. The 270 is a very very common uh, if not the most common um cartridge out there. It's well, a good I would, gun I would for... argue the most common cartridge out there is a .30-06. I agree with that. Probably. Well, I sure. I, I mean, I couldn't, no, I, I couldn't right. say one it's, way or another. It's, it's extremely it's common. Yeah. Um, it's used for deer. It's used for elk. It's, it doesn't happen to be my favorite caliber. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. That's just personal preference. Yeah. You know, I like a .308. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... That's preference. Dedon hates a three hundred eight. He likes a seven millimeter Mac. Um, I'd rather have a drink tank drive drive over me than shoot a seven millimeter Mac. <laughs> but that's that's preference. There's nothing wrong with it. Well, there's so many calibers. There's so many calibers out there. It, it has to be preference. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think our big point is whatever you're going to use, be comfortable with it. You know, you could we could go all day with. Robbie talked about the, the the ammo collection that he has there and they're coming up with new ones every uh-huh. single day you know the the 300 300 win mag 300 short mag oh, the 65 Creedmoor 65 Creedmoor yeah. it's you everywhere know, the, Great the gun. Grindle you know there's uh, a million different stuff we did that that 1000 yard competition um up in Mayhill over the 4th of, over the 4th of July weekend and I shot Dedon's 65 Creedmoor great gun definitely um i had never shot it before i had never even pulled the trigger at a thousand yards and i was right there you know um excellent firearm but you know we i mean that that particular uh rifle we were shooting was a it was a target gun it's not a hunting rifle um but yeah there's so much out there yeah and everybody's got a everybody's got an opinion on what's their favorite yeah and you're entitled to it yeah um you know i think as long as you're familiar with your gun um know the compensation for the bullet drop stuff like right. that what i'm seeing a lot more is you know those guys get online google it and then handwrite it and tape it to their rifles the butt stock of their rifles and right they there's apps yeah there's apps on your phone where you can type in the temperature and the pressure and the wind and everything right there and the the cartridge that you're shooting and the firearm and it's going to tell you you know if this is your scope set it to this number and then pull the trigger at zero so yeah we talked about it with with robbie roberts as as we were driving around looking at the different ranges there are a lot of things that take the human element out of shooting yeah they're having a bench rest match right now and basically you put that rifle on a rail you lock it down and he, he talked about how basically those guys aren't even looking through the 
the scope when they pull that trigger because they've got everything locked down. They're looking at the target, they're looking at the wind, and all of that stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, again, you'll you'll never take the human element out of hunting, uh, and so that's what you need to be comfortable with. No, because we can't control the thump thump. No. You see the big old deer and the thump thump goes crazy. Especially your thump. thump. My thump thump goes crazy. <laughs> You want to talk about buck fever, you ought to start calling it Rodney fever. That's pretty much what it is. Because you get a big you get a big animal in front of you. I got it. Let me take you back to the captain hunt. Right? Where are we So we were hunting elk down in 37 and uh I Yeah, we was I'd, hunting elk. I had harvested. Well, it, it doesn't matter what it is, big elk, big big deer whatever it is. But I you know, I had harvested my elk. And then we were out, and I was calling for Rodney, and uh, mind you, he was using using a bow, but uh, we had two bulls just friggin' uh, screaming at us. You gotta you gotta back up to the ditch, Kyle. All right. All you right. can't you can't do that story justice without the ditch. So we were hiking in, and we heard these bulls, and we're trying to get on them. And we go down in this little draw to try and you know make move on them, get ahead of them. And we're standing there, and we're glassing the ridge, and uh, and we could see them. We could see we, them. We could see them moving through the trees at yeah. the top of the ridge. Yeah. And they were just going back and forth, back and forth. Anyways, I was standing a little bit behind Rodney, and I looked to my right, and there, I, not three feet away from us, was a diamondback rattlesnake curled up. He looked like a freaking cow turd. He was, he was huge. huge. His his head. Was the size of the back of my hand. It was I huge. mean, this thing it was, was freaking huge. huge. He was a monster. And Rodney is not a fan of snakes. Nope. And so we, I would have left him alone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of snakes. But if they're out and they're about and they're not bothering livestock or whatever, okay. I, I don't really care. You know, they're part of the environment. They, they, they have their purpose. You live up here where there's but no the snakes. Perp- uh, there's snakes up here. <laughs> I trust you. There. There. Trust me, there's snakes <laughs> up here. Anyways, the reason we did we decided to kill, the reason we decided to kill is because we knew we were going to be back in there hunting the next day and we just didn't want to deal with it. And he was a freaking big snake. He was huge. So Rodney pissed him off by shooting him with an arrow. Didn't kill him. We I finally stuck got him, we finally got him killed. Uh, and then these bulls just start letting loose. And so we get positioned and I start calling for Rodney and Rodney had kind of I don't know what you'd expected him to do well yeah I, well I, I expected him to stop yeah so I, I sat up behind this juniper and Kyle's behind me about 15 yards and I got an arrow knocked and I, I got everything ranged yeah I got everything ranged so I started up that we was at the bottom of this little skid trail and there was a, a bush up at the top of it that was 50 yards and then I found a bush that was 40 and a bush that was 30. I arranged them all so I knew what my ranges were coming down that coming down that slope. And he stepped out and right behind that bush that I had ranged at 50 yards. And I was ready to shoot him right then and there as soon as he stepped out. Yeah. But he just stood there and he's looking down the hill, just standing there, and he lets out a great big old bugle. And after he bugled, Kyle decided he's gonna bugle back, rightfully. And he did. And the second he started that bugle, that elk turned and came down that hill straight at me. Like he was on a line. Like he was on a line. 
and he was a freight train and I'm at full draw and he's just barreling down this hill right at me and this and he, is and this is what I see of Rodney out of the corner of my eye right <laughs> just shaking like a freaking leaf right I didn't know what to do I mean it's it's not something that you do every day you can't practice you it. can't practice yeah. it and the thump thump was thump thumping and I'm standing there watching this freight train come right at me, and I literally thought he was going to run me over. And that's the problem. And I wasn't going to shoot him in the brisket. Um, I wanted him to turn, and he finally did. And he, he come just past that 30-yard bush yep. and turned, and I thought he was going to stop and stand there, and I put my pin on him, put my 30-yard pin on him, and went to shoot. He started running again. I pulled the trigger, slipped it right through his skin on the back. Yeah, all I see was a and, bull running off with an arrow flopping. And me chasing him. And Rodney <laughs> running another. after him. I didn't know if he was trying to tackle him or what I he wanna, was doing. I want to I care. Um, so, yeah, but, but fever, turns out he did didn't he? go by the 30-yard tree. He was 23 yards. Yeah. He was 23 yards, yeah, and that's why I shot high. Yeah, um, so... Buck Fever, it, we're going to rename Rodney Fever. So. Yeah. Anyways. I get excited. Get yeah, I excited. wouldn't hunt if I didn't get excited. But that's part of the fun is the human element. I mean, yeah. there are so many yeah. factors, the, the, you know, the environmental elements, what an animal decides to do, what you do, what your partner is calling does. Or it's, that's what makes it fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. I, so, I enjoy it. We were talking a little bit about ammo. Um and the calibers and things like that and um i want to go around real quick though um not that this is the end all be all you've already matthew you've already said that the seven millimeter 08 kyle if you had one weapon choice to, that you could use to hunt deer and elk across the board what would it be so knowing what i know now um if I wanted to hunt all big game in New Mexico, and so you've got to throw in their Barbary sheep, you've got sure. to throw in there the Oryx. I think for me, if I had to buy one gun, I'd buy the 308. Okay. I um, don't have a 308. I want a 308. Yeah. But if if it was one gun to hunt all the big game species in New Mexico, that would probably be my caliber. We're on the same page, so I'm not I'm not going to go into detail that exactly what i would choose i'm i'm a fan of that gun um of that caliber uh, it's a good shooting gun I'm, I'm very anxious to try that seven millimeter 08 though uh, and that that round may change my mind but back to your ammo okay um we talked about you know if if you haven't hunted before, if you're just listening to this, looking to get into hunting, there's a it can be extremely overwhelming. Uh, if you are not a gun nut, it can be extremely overwhelming because when you look at ammo, um, you can have the same caliber and have you know 50 different brands. Uh, you can have a ton of different um, weights. different weights, and so basically when you break down your ammo you're looking at a bullet weight so how big of a bullet do you have and then you're looking at the caliber and that's how you know 
what rifle is it going to fit into your your bullet or your your ammo and your rifles should match exactly and we teach that in hunter education but uh, your, your caliber is going to be stamped on your barrel of your rifle and if it says you know um, three I'm, I'm just making crap up here but you know uh, 300 wind mag that is the ammo that you buy is 300 wind mag because there's 300 savage there's 300 short mag there's 300 don't just go by the number match your ammo exactly to your rifle or else you may have a catastrophic event or it may not shoot or whatever it is but don't get in yourself into a situation where oh yeah this will work uh, match it exactly to your ammo but there's a million different ammos out there but basically when you break it down um, you're going to have a bullet weight, you're going to have um, a certain amount of powder that they put into it. Uh, magnums have more powder that creates more gas, which creates more pressure. Um, and so they're going to be a little, you're going to have a little more kick. Uh, so we'll choose whatever you're going to shoot and then match your ammo to it. Um, a lot of people are going to have to base their ammo selection or their caliber selection on availability. Yeah. Can you get it at Walmart? Yeah. Do you have to go to a gun store? Yeah. Um, I mean, they carry a crap load of different stuff, and, and we won't even get into reloading in this podcast, but uh, uh, what's readily available? And, you know, there are common calibers. Uh-huh. A .30-06 is a very common caliber, really easy to find ammo for, Three oh eight. 270, uh, 243, all those are are pretty readily available at most retailers. Yeah, you get into a little bit more exotic stuff, and it gets a little bit harder to find. It gets a lot more expensive. Um, you know, I just bought a few boxes of 30-30, you know, 30-30 is a common caliber. 15 mm-hmm. bucks a box. Uh, bought a couple of boxes of 270. Um, and it was 17 bucks a box. What What is your 7mm 08 going for? 20 bucks a 20 box. 20 bucks a box, yeah. yeah. So you can, you can get down there around $15, $15 a box all the way up to $50, $60 a box, depending on what you're getting. Um, it's just regular bullets, if it's ballistic tips, you know, there's all kinds of different things. We don't want to get too too heavy into all of that stuff because this is basically general knowledge for the um everybody yeah for, for everybody the un uh, i don't really know that i want to say uneducated but i guess that's the best word to to use the somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience yeah un, yeah unexperienced is probably a better word yeah, for that yeah there you go well even in uh you know for hunting purposes uh ballistic tips and full metal jackets um you can't hunt with full metal jackets in New Mexico. Yeah, you get into legality. So, stuff. you know, just start thinking about that. And you might have to buy a couple different boxes of, uh, you know, the correct ammo for your gun to see what your gun likes to shoot. Um, I know my 708 likes to shoot the Hornady. And <laughs> so now you're sounding a little bit thing. crazy, Matt. For, for those of you who don't know, each gun has its own kind of little personality. Right. Uh Take for example, my, like your muzzle loader. My muzzle loader. Yeah. Uh, my muzzle loader is a Lyman. Uh, fantastic muzzle loader. Love that sucker. I killed my deer with it. You killed a deer with it. Correct. Uh, great muzzle loader, but it hates 
shooting conical bullets. It shoots better with a patch and a round ball, which is extremely weird. Hmm. But it doesn't shoot the maxi balls very good. It doesn't shoot the maxi balls. It it it, it throws those maxi balls worse than shooting with that round ball. So it's yeah. really weird. My 22-250, it likes a 50 grain bullet. It doesn't like a 45 grain. It doesn't like a 55 grain. It likes a 50 grain bullet. I can shoot freaking groups all day long with a 50 grain bullet, uh, but you change that up. Yeah. And so that's another, like Matt was talking about, another thing to consider with your ammo. If you're, whatever you're gonna shoot, Sight that in. Yeah. Don't don't take three different weights of bullets hunting and expect it to shoot the same. Or or a box of Winchester and a box of Remington. They shoot different. They different. shoot different. Just different. keep it keep it so, consistent. And and to tie that back into you know we were talking about calibers. You know when you when you're choosing a caliber, let's say you settle on a, a two seventy, um, and you go out there and you shoot and you're all over the place and you say well. I don't like a 270. I'm gonna shoot something else. Keep in mind that it may not be that weapon. It may have been your ammo. Definitely. Get another box of ammo. Uh, we just talked about how they're only about seventeen dollars a box. Get another box of ammo and shoot it first before you go and say, you know, screw that this gun. This gun. That, yeah. yeah sucks. It, it may not be the gun. It, it it might be the the ammo. So here's another question to to think. Um, I don't know uh, how many rounds do you guys carry while hunting <laughs> so do you that's, need the whole box that's i mean a, <laughs> that's a, as many as uh, yeah <laughs> that depends um on other podcasts i've heard that the magic number is 13 um i don't know this year because like we've talked about i don't we haven't hunted rifle a lot so having said that when I'm hunting deer, I carry six arrows. When I'm hunting muzzleloader, I carry the load that's in the weapon and three more in my pocket. Mm -hmm. So that that 13 number, I'm like, man. Seems kind of high, isn't it? Why are you, why so, are you carrying so much? <laughs> generally, what I do is, um, of course, you know, you, if you're going to be out packing, you got to be considered weight. But yeah. what I'll do is I'll take a box and I will put I will take five five rounds five or six rounds just depending and I'll either carry those in my pocket or if I've got you know uh, a, a round holder on the stock or something like that mm -hmm. I'll carry those six rounds and then the rest of it goes in my pack yeah yeah um, I, I bet probably man it, it depends heavily on the type of hunting that you're doing um, uh, if you're going to be packing in for five or six days then then that 13 number is probably a lot better if you're if you're climbing out of your truck in the morning and expecting to be back to it by noon you know you may not need, need any more than than what's in uh, you know uh, in your magazine um, if you're like I said if you're going on a pack trip like Kyle said you got to watch your weight because ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's really going to depend on the type of hunting you're doing. Uh, our elk hunt, 
um, we're not going to be able to stay in the in the in the wildlife management area because we can't camp in there. Um, well, well can, we can, can, but we're not going to camp at that. Just we're not going to camp at that area. But um, packing in there all day, you know, I, I want to carry is is enough, but as little as I can. So. Um, I think the magic number is uh, eight. Eight. Yep. I, I really what did. what brought you to that? You know, I just my magazine carries three, and then I got the sling that carries uh, four, and then I was just keep one extra in my pocket. There you go. So there you go. That's, and that number should probably be different for everybody. Just the, just the same as um, as anything else. I should probably carry more. Because I, I, because I, you I have tend Rodney to, fever. I have the thump thump. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So <clears throat> let's talk real quick uh, about um, you put. You know, you, you're talking about dual purpose ammo. What do you mean? Dual by purpose that? ammo. Yeah. So uh, I have a cousin, and one of his big things that he really likes, and and. Not just for hunting purposes, but for for just sh general shooting purposes. Uh, he really likes the fact that he has a um, a cartridge that he can shoot out of a pistol, as well as a lever action rifle. Um, it simplifies things for him greatly uh, to be able to do that. It's a forty-five caliber um, that he has. He has a Henry. Uh, 45 caliber rifle lever action and then he also has a uh, uh, 45 revolver and um, it's a way to simplify the number of firearms that you have and minimize the types of ammo um, that you're going to have to purchase um, that's going to limit your range greatly Definitely. because you're not going to be able to shoot the 200 yards that you're comfortable yeah. with. That's going to be dropped way down. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to be pretty proficient to shoot 100 yards with that type of round. Yeah, it's almost going to be um, bow range. Right, right, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, if you can sneak up on a deer with a bow, you can sneak up on a deer with a rifle. That's right. Um, but it, it, it's something to think about, you know, for, for some people who don't have... Um, the funds to be purchasing multiple firearms and multiple types of ammo. Um, it, there's there's those calibers out there that you can do both with. Yeah. Definitely. So so I really like that. Um, that it's just something to think about if if you don't want to have to do do a lot. I personally don't don't do it. Um, I carry a 40 caliber pistol and a 45 caliber pistol, but I do not have a lever action of the same caliber for either one of them. What are some of the calibers out there, Kyle, that you can do dual purpose in the pistol and a lever action? Would a, would a judge be? A so uh, I mean, shotgun. Yeah. Slug. So so judge. Yeah, the judge you're going to be able to shoot. Uh, the 45 and a 410 shotgun. Yeah. Out of so. Um, I think that, some of the most common ones are going to be like a 45 Colt, long Colt. Yeah. Um, a 357. Yeah. Those are probably the two 
most common dual purpose yep. calibers. You can get a 45 long Colt and a rifle. You can get a 45 long Colt and a pistol. Understand these are not going to be specific to hunting calibers or long range calibers. It's just dual. What can you carry in both? And yeah. again, a 357 is one as well. Yep. 357 mag. So we're going to wrap this thing up uh, for this section. Um, give us a Give us a look on Facebook. Come join us on Instagram, uh, Twitter. We're going to have a website up, hopefully by the time you listen to this. Um, notagrandeoutdoors.com. Um, keep looking for it. Uh, stay with us for the rest of this journey. Uh, next time we're going to talk about taking these um, weapons that we've chosen and siding them in and practicing with them and um, then talk a little bit about cleaning them up as well. Yep, that's where we'll be at. So uh, really appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, really appreciate Matt coming um, and our other guests. Just can't say enough about how, uh, how awesome it was to, to be able to uh, do that here at the NRA Whittington Center. Give them a, a you know, look at, look at their website. Give them a, a follow on Facebook. Um, and watch Top Knot. Matt. See you guys. Look forward to the next one. Adios.